uh, oh, so I'm Lindsay, um, I'm either Lindsay Hill or Lindsay Ross and I got married in August so Rosson's the name I'm moving forward with so there's not two of us it's just it's just me um, so I am in the final like the winter I'm going to say of my uh, PhD and winter's my favourite season so it's not a negative thing even though it's given me plenty of grey hair which I'm thankfully embracing um, my study is on uh, the lived experience of having a mental health pro sorry a student having a mental health problem and seeking support from university mental health services so I've called it student mental health in the chamber of secrets I am a Harry Potter fan I don't know if anybody else is here um, but you'll see why um, as well because there is some relevance in there and Karen um, is my lovely supervisor here and Emma is my uh, also inspiration so what am I doing? So I'm using hermeneutic phenomenology and I'm looking at the lived experience of students having a mental health problem accessing support at uni, which I just said, sorry. And I've done this using one-to-one -one interviews and um, it was with current students that were, that were accessing um, support at, at the university at the time. When I started this, I was a mental health advisor over at UCLan. So that's like a non-NHS role um, it's kind of like being a mental health practice nurse in the university. It was very good, it was very fun, and it was quite a new project at the uni where, where I was based. Um, so it was outside of all the academic side. Every um, university has student services, sometimes they have quirky names, sometimes it's just uh, student services. We were based in the place called the I, so the information centre. And students could come with any mental health problem. They didn't have to be diagnosed. It, it could be that they were worried about um, being homesick, have a severe enjoyable health problem and anything in between. As long as they were accessing that service, I was ready to interview them. Um, and I was grateful that they did. I got um, 19 um, participants for interviews um, and they would tell me about their lived experience. So why, um, being a mental health nurse and being a lecturer, um, I was interested in students because obviously part of being a lecturer you get hundreds of students, especially on pre-registration, um, there's plenty of them in there. And from all walks of lives, some first generation, uh, some coming through from widening participation, some 18 year olds, some 48 year olds, and I love that. That, all that, um, I don't know why it just, I just really enjoy, like, I, I like people, um, and having those on a nursing degree, I just, um, I don't know, I just, just really, really like it. Plus being a mental health nurse, I'm really passionate about mental health, and having students in practice um, was also fun when I was a mental health nurse before I went into academia, and um, I was really kind of taken aback once that uh, one student had used to be a five-year kind of time limit to do complete your nursing degree and some students were having to drop out because of having mental health problems and I was like well if you can still have a mental health problem and lead a, a fulfilling successful nursing career and a lot of people were stuck by stigma or not having the correct support at university that kind of put the fire in my belly to do to do this project it was linking both jobs all my interests and kind of helping fight the, the students corner that Although they've got a mental health problem, that's fine, you know, you can still do anything you want to do and be. Um, plus, students are experiencing more and more mental health problems. 
with more increased uh, coverage on the media, um, especially when a student sadly texts her own life, that's all over um, the papers, it's all over Twitter, and it's much more than students taking their own lives. What about the students that are feeling like they want to take their own lives, or have a friend or family member that have took their own lives? Rather than just focusing on kind of the worst end, let's help those students, let's illuminate their experiences before it gets to the point where they're even taking that first step to end their life. Um, universities are doing things, but we don't know to what extent. There's only about three pieces of guidance. So there's the Universities UK um, and Health Education England uh, Guide to Student Mental Health and Wellbeing. There's a step change model, and there's one that's just fell out of my head. Um, but they've kind of got some kind of guidance, about 16 steps of this is what you might want to do, but with any guidance it's open for interpretation. They've not been evaluated, and there's no kind of best practice, gold standard um, model to go into universities. So that's what my next point there. So there's some net recommendations, but there's no imp implementation guide. And then there's no evaluation of current provision. Um, and there's no mandatory provision, probably because it's not been evaluated or the best practice has, has gone in there. Um, so yeah, I think as well, you can go in with your own agenda, thinking, oh, this is what students want, this is what they need, when really it's something completely different. Um, an example of that is the environment and uh, like um, I think Rumi was saying about you know you you think you're gonna um, well, I can't I can't explain it now you didn't you didn't know you were gonna find something so the environment was a massive thing where um, the service was it was in um, a building just like a normal university building and it had a massive sign saying well-being it was also available in the the place I mentioned before called the eye. So for me, I was thinking, oh, students are going to love this. It's really clear. There's a massive sign saying well-being, um, easy access. You know, like the big signs in Tesco. It's like, oh, where's the eggs? There they are. And I think even the egg has got a special picture of eggs, so you know exactly where to go. But then people know you're going for eggs, don't they? So when you're in this other building, you walk into the well-being, and that might be the first time that you've plucked up the courage to go and access support so you're walking down there one of the participants even could describe the carpet tiles walking up to that building at, to the door in that building and having that fear of people not going to well-being and well-being was finance uh, disability services for uh, physical health and mental health problems um, DSA support mental health support everything was there but because it said well-being people were worried about oh god people are going to know me for my mental health didn't bother everybody but some people it did us as practitioners working in the well-being team putting signs up left right and center like walking past the wall oh there's no sign it let's put one here when the participants it were the students using that service were kind of like please don't do that let's make it normal so the participants were saying actually walking through a chocker library into this information desk was far less intimidating than walking into a different building with a massive sign saying well-being because as well with universities, each building has kind of got its subjects in there, hasn't it? And I think where we were, it was law. So if someone's mate saw them go into law building, it'd be like, well, you know, you're studying drama. Why, why are you going to law building? Do you know what I mean? So that, that put off um, some participants. That was something that was um, quite important that I didn't even think would even, you know, uh, come into it. So that's what the phenomenology and the illumination, um, that's where the fun and the magic came from. 
So what I looked at, so what it's like to have a mental health problem at the university, how this um, has, <laughs> let's type all this on. So the, the impact on the university experience, the second box should be saying there. The experience of the help that they received, and then if the participant felt they would have benefited from something else, their experience of accessing the help and the experience that the help had on, on the student themselves. Because what we found was access, there were so many different ways you could um, raise a flag uh, in a metaphorical sense on the student engagement system or you could go into the I, you could go into this other building, you could email, you could go to your tutor, you could speak to one of the dinner ladies um, or dinner guys. Access wasn't really an issue to get it but knowing how to get it obviously was uh, because there was that many ways in and we didn't know actually what it's like to have this problem me from working there had seen students and I only knew what they were telling me through a mental health assessment which I found the hard way of mental health assessments very different to doing phenomenological interviews. I went in as a nurse, started pretty much doing a mental health assessment and I'm like well this isn't telling me anything apart from the mental health status rather than actually what it is like. So I had to redo a lot of interviews but um, as Karen would always say a PhD is a research apprenticeship and we're here to learn. I learned. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fine because with phenomenology you can do your reflexology. Um, no, you can't. <laughs> Thank you, reflexivity. Um, I mean, you can do reflexology as well. <laughs> um, your reflexivity to kind of, you know, say that as a working class mental health nurse, I was going in trying to fix, like the other lady said before, you wanted to jump in and be a nurse. That's not what it's about. It's about shutting up, listening, and actually getting the phenomenological um, lived experience, the whole thing that you want to do. Um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm going to keep that as well, you know, to share with other people. Don't go into mental health nurse, I'm going to get all this done. Um, I'm going to fix you, you know, because it's not what we're here for, in this sense. Okay, so this is um, where Harry Potter comes into it. So the truth is a beautiful and terrible thing and should therefore be treated with caution. There's me going and doing mental health interviews when I should be doing what is your experience interviews. And I really wanted to make sure I did the participants justice because they're there taking time out of their day or study time or whatever to speak to me about what it's like to have a mental health problem at uni. It can be a difficult subject for some, not all. And I wanted to do it right. I wanted to really illuminate what that lived experience was for them um, because without them I wouldn't have been able to do the study. So I used Van Manen's Four Life World Existentials to do that and what I loved about it is the four lenses um, here. So we've got the lived time, the lived space, the lived relationships and the lived body. So I'm asking these questions in the interviews that were eventually phenomenological interviews and really stripping it back and getting that raw experience and taking that leap to get these kind of four lenses kind of looked through um, that's when I realised this is the research this is what the uh, participants are telling me this book was my best friend I got a second hand as well um, so more sustainable um, but anyone doing HP and using Van Maiden's that book is dead good um, so the phenomenology, the phenomenology is a study or inquiry into how things appear or present themselves to us in pre-reflective or lived experience. And I love that, that it was presenting itself to us. 
Um, so phenomenology is also a project that's driven by fascination, being swept in a spell of wonder, um, a fascination with meaning. And that's straight from uh, Van Nenen. Oh, sorry, sorry, all my life. Um, reading Van Nenen's work, because I got c- really confused with... Um, oh, oh, sorry. It's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, I have lost my thought now. Um, yeah, sorry, there were so many different people um, using phenomenology, all the different researchers. I am so sorry about this. Um, and oh, no, um, when I started reading Van Manion's work, that's kind of when I got completely immersed in it and started to understand it a little bit better. I still do feel like I need to do a lot more work on that. Um, but I think that's phenomenology. You're never going to know, are you? Because you're interpreting all the time. Um, and the life world is essentially the world of lived experience and what is experienced before any conceptualizations or labels have been added to it. So it's about finding out what they're bringing to you rather than jumping in and trying to fix that person or do your interpretation. It's about dealing with what's been brought and illuminated to you. These are my findings and my themes. And I'm, uh, I'm on my last minute now. Um, seven. Seven. Oh, brilliant. Um, so when I've done the, the interviews, it kind of, when I'm looking, doing all the transcriptions and the, um, the code and everything, I could see the journey. Um, so I thought, right, I'm going to structure my chapters on that, because it's lived experience. I wanted the reader to almost walk through what, this, uh, what these participants had um, experienced. So I split it up into pre-encounter, the encounter being getting that help and then post-encounter. So the biggest section, again, not jumping, I was expecting that the encounter and post-encounter would be the, the biggest part of the experience. It was actually this bit, the pre-encounter. Students were kind of having this, you could almost feel this pressure of, it's now or never, if I don't go now, I'm not going to go and get help. Um, based on something's not right so it wasn't like oh i'm relapsing with my depression or my anxiety levels going through the roof i've started hearing more voices a lot of the students were like something's not right with me they might not have had a diagnosed mental health problem they might have not even been aware that it was a mental health problem at all some people would diagnose themselves with schizophrenia when it was exam stress it didn't matter what mattered was that them first steps to getting that help and how they got that help um, that, that was kind of like the biggest part with everything there's overlap isn't there there's stigma judgment and waiting in the pre-encounter and encounter stages and then the actual encounter we were always battling with NHS waiting lists aren't we and they're just getting worse and worse so again my kind of pre-judgments were going to be that the students weren't happy with having to wait a wait list of five days some of the students were doing backflips. It's like, I only had to wait five days. I was in crisis, I only had to wait five days. You know, you was in crisis though. Five days is a long time. Um, so there was emotions involved. Um, like I said, I mentioned the environment before. And validation. Sometimes, just having that person sit down and say, how are you, what's going on? That was enough for them to feel noticed, feel recognised, feel supported. Um, and then they didn't, they didn't need a follow-up sometimes, just after having uh, some validation. Person-centeredness came in, but obviously coming from a nursing perspective, person-centered care is massive. So the person-centeredness um, from friends, family members, 
tutors and people in the wellbeing team that was a massive theme as well um, people just being lovely just kind of the human touch and um, not physical touch but you know the kind of the humanness the being nice and not feeling rushed that was a massive theme as well uh, peers and family come into that and again validation repeated itself in the post encounter um, the course itself was um, a massive support for some students and more than one of them waited till they'd handed everything in they really struggled with the mental health all, all the academic year and it was like I'm going to do all my assignments and then I'll seek help it was almost like they didn't deserve to have help beforehand or the, the, the course was keeping them going up until they'd handed all the work in and then it was like right I can relax now and go and get some help it's like wow um, so the course was like a massive um, support for a lot of the students um, this is so here the, the parts at the bottom here the realisation was something's going on I need to get some help actually getting the help and then the outcome of help and then the arrow there is two ways because some people come back for more help which was fine um, some people had the encounter and then were off and were doing better some people need a little bit more support or had uh, further episodes of needing to um, get help again like from scratch and that's it that's references thank you <laughs> sorry about my sister might have been <laughs> yes yeah. always try to ask questions very great presentation oh thank you really uh, thank you <laughs> one question is uh, you are a lecturer then gathering data from students how did you get information on ethical clearance? Because uh, maybe it's been a very sensitive topic that you uh, dealt with. And then your role as a lecturer and then a nurse and then collecting data. How, how, how was it for you when you were dealing with that as well? And then uh, what about what plans were in place for withdrawal, maybe students Maybe somebody I think was there any withdrawal from your studies and then was there anything that will affect maybe their uh, maybe their academic work or anything? How were you able to address that when you were okay. new information? So you question ethics. Because when I started the study I was still employed as a mental health advisor there. I um we got ethical clearance to recruit participants by um putting posters up and letting my fellow colleagues know that this study was available so they could share it with their, pa their uh, patients that they were seeing and then they could contact me. Anyone that I had seen as a mental health advisor or currently on my case load, I didn't, um, uh, they were excluded basically. I ended up leaving halfway through uh, the study. So when I was doing the interviews, so when the recruitment phase was still working there, so that was basically telling my colleagues this is where this is a study going on. Can let your your um, people in your case load know. Plus, it was up in bathrooms and stuff across the whole university. By the time the interviews come round, I think I did a handful where they I needed to do them again. So the mental health kind of assessments. I always made sure that the participants knew that I'm a member of staff here. Um, everything's confidential. We're not going to go speak to your tutor or whoever your ma mental health advisor is. But then when it comes to doing my second batch of interviews, I'd left by that point. But again, I made it clear that I once worked here, I do know the team, um, 
but I've got no links kind of formally with them, everything's confidential. So that all went, that all went through ethics. Um, follow up if participants didn't come back. I only did, I offered focus groups and one-to-one -one interviews. Nobody wanted a focus group, so it was just one-to-one -one interviews. Um, three came back for a second interview and there was only one person who didn't attend for their interview. So if someone got in touch with me, I'd aim to get in touch with them by email again, I'd reply to their email, either that day or the day after and book them in and do it quite quickly because I thought they've took the time to reply to that email quite quickly so I don't want to leave them hanging and use the potential of potentially losing them. There was one guy that um, I booked in I think two or three days later and he didn't turn up so I then went back to the wellbeing team saying this participant has not um, turned up it, uh, can you just make sure that they're all right and again that went through ethics just to make sure you know they weren't unwell or this lad had just decided not to he didn't want to do the interview which is absolutely fine but as a mental health nurse and an ex-member of the wellbeing team just wanted to make sure he was all right um, so we had that in place and then what was the other question time, was it time management really is uh, that what you're getting at uh, 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 withdrawal was there any withdrawal from the studies? No. Some of the challenges that you faced whilst you were interviewing them, how did you deal with that? So there was no withdrawal, apart from the one guy that didn't turn up for his interview. He was the only one that didn't, um, it, he wasn't interviewed, but nobody else um, asked for their data to be took out after they'd been interviewed and transcribed, and everyone got a pseudonym. Is that what you're asking? Sorry. Mm. Thank you. Just to comment, I think it's really interesting stuff in our forward teams. Oh, thank you. You know, the, the conflict between being a mental health nurse, a mental health lecturer, and having students, and certainly I've got experience that of, of managing my students have taken their own life, um, and we're currently dealing with the aftermath of one at the minute, and you know, how it affects the PT groups and things. Mm -hmm. We've got one PT group that's now had two in wow. the course of the you know, which is, is hugely rare, mm. but it <coughs> when I trained 30 years ago, it never happened in student populations, mm. or it was never talked about if it ever did, we were never aware of it, and now, you know, s some of my most amazing students have had really, really horrendous labels in terms of mental health, and they've got through and they've been fabulous, and then other mm. ones come in. And we just don't seem to be able to give them the support that they're looking for. So this will be really, really helpful in terms of supporting students. Thank you. I had a thought about John Heron and his um, your three stages, which are very similar to his that sort of pre-contemplation, contemplation, action. You know that. Right. Yeah, a little bit of that, that sort of change models in there, isn't it? Well, thank you for well, saying that. that. <laughs> <laughs> because it, I was just saying to Emma in my discussion chapter, um, this the pre-contemplation stage. This um, it's now whenever I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I've just been writing about that last night. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I'm it's interesting. I think that's an interesting. But but, but then you will drift into grander theory. Oh, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happens is that then you are trying. I mean, film phenomenology providing a description of lived experience. But you, if you go into the um, stages of change, positive decrementis, then you're providing a theory of 
contemplation, pre-contemplation, entrance and exit and relapse kind of thing. And then you will then drift into grounded theory. So just be careful with your vibe. Thank you. And th this is really validating for me that you've said that. I'm like, I've wrote about that. But then I feel with the discussion chapter, I'm trying to stick to the data, but I'm leapfrogging all over the place. You know, going wide. And it's like, how do you stay Maybe you have there? have a leapfrog chapter. Yeah. <laughs> and then why you put all your frogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a gymnastics chapter. The other um. thing that struck me was that uh, about signs. You know, and maybe think that 20 years ago, I did a transition study from CAMS to adult mental health services. And one of the things that the younglings were saying at the time was, you know, they because um, they're right on the cusp of adulthood, they hated going to um, into the waiting room because it was full of toys and signs, very childlike mm. stuff. You right, know? Yeah. So it looked like it, because of course it was for two-year-olds as well as seventeen-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they they really wanted it not to be like that. They didn't want too many signs and too many cuddly toys. They wanted it to look like a grown-up's place. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting about that. We think. We think we want to signpost stuff everywhere, don't we? But actually, uh, they want our to customers, practice it. they just kind of quietly want to work it out. And so. universities love spending money on signs, don't they? Yeah. It's always a new sign, isn't there? <laughs> but how would they get to the well-being centre? Without at least one Without sign. signs, yeah. Well, the eye is the information desk. So walk into a, a lovely big university library, they're all pretty much the same, aren't they? Lots of information desks people wearing their own, there's no uniforms in, in um, libraries really is there, um, people might have a lanyard on and we've got this strip of desks, easily about 10-15 desks and me knowing, uh, me working there, I knew if that lady was sat there or she's from finance, that person's from the eye, so you'd have this strip of people, so if I, I walked over um, and said oh, I, want, I want to speak to the mental health team, something like that, um, they'd be like oh right and they'd shout that person and say right go to desk 7. So there was no signs, but people knew the eye was where you go and get the information. So it didn't matter what you were presenting with, you can just go there and you knew within a few seconds you'd be either, you know, take a seat there and when they're free they'll come out or go to desk four, go to desk seven. Because each desk had like a different uh, service and that's where you went and got a parking permit or you paid your library fines or um, you complained that the vending machine was broke. So it was, it was a one-stop shop for anything. People turning up there with broken hearts, um, you know, my brolly's just broke outside and everything in between, so it was really normal just to go to this desk and get whatever issue, no matter how big or small it was, to get sorted or signposted. Um, mm. Yeah, I suppose that's what I'd say to, me, to you, but to, to everyone, I guess, that it's really nice as a kind of new-ish academic to, um, to be around other people who are new to research and new to academia, and, you, and your kind of honesty and your vulnerability and saying, you know, these are the mistakes that I made, um, and I'm, you know, and I'm learning, and, uh, and so on. Because sometimes I'm, like, totally paralysed by fear, and it's, like, stops oh, me, no. and it would prevent me from even, like, entering into that space. So, um, I, I, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, other than... Um, you said that you um, kind of interviewed your participants, and you thought, "Oh no, I'm not, I'm not asking them about my topic. I'm asking them. I'm doing a mental health assessment." Yeah. But I just sometimes. Um, so an example that I want to give is there was a medication error on a ward that I worked on. And someone gave a patient the wrong antipsychotic, and he'd been unwell for years and years and years. He got this wrong antipsychotic, and it, uh, you know, and he was great after that. And I just wondered if there was any um, sort of unintended benefits in terms of your research or the relationship that you de developed with those participants of, of the mistakes that you made, if there were any kind of unintended benefits of that, um, I suppose. 
think it helps with the validation that someone will sit and actually listen to their mental health experiences because a lot of them are saying they don't people go in with their own agenda and just you know saying oh do this do this uh, is a leaflet is um, an app or whatever so possibly for them feeling validated yeah selfishly there was a lot that I learned from that um, but then is that selfish because it did the participants uh, a better service by illuminating the, their lived experience so yeah. Maybe that's another frog for your frog chat. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Lindsay. <laughs> 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 <laughs>